Welcome to my podcast, Man Made. It's admittedly a provocative title. It's meant to be. It captures my desire to be of service, to be a part of the movement, encouraging us all to hold men and boys in high esteem. In high esteem for who they are and for the important and different contributions that they make. My podcast will tackle head-on the negativity that has been and continues to be directed towards men. And each week I'll also be appreciating the act of a good man. And because I loved going to football matches as a young woman, I always start with, here we go, here we go, here we go. (laughs) And the title of this episode is Men Being Treated Badly, the Integrated Domestic Abuse Programme Part 3. As I said in my last episode, I've been interviewing men who have participated in IDAP, the UK's Integrated Domestic Abuse Programme. I interviewed these men for three reasons. Firstly, their voices have not been recorded in UK or USA research beyond a few sentences in a Home Office paper in which two men appraised the programme positively. Secondly, as I said in my previous episode, men coming to me for empathic anger management would often need to debrief and process their negative experiences of the IDAP programme before we could begin the necessary therapeutic work. I had been disturbed to hear them using phrases that included feeling dominated and controlled. It was the facilitator's way or the highway feeling bound and gagged, saying they'd been brainwashed, that they, the facilitators, messed with my head. Ironically, these are the very kind of behaviours which the IDAP programme assumes that their group participants will have been engaging in, in their intimate partner relationships, and which the IDAP programme aims to eradicate. Lastly, in 2010, I attended an International Cultic Studies Association conference and listened to speakers discussing Robert J. Lifton's Psychology of Totalism. Psychology of Totalism derived from his research during the mid-1950s on brainwashing in Chinese universities. Lifton identified the tactics used by Chinese communists to cause drastic shifts in a person's opinions and personality, a process he called thought reform. As I listened to the lecture, the stories of the men whom I'd worked with came to mind, and I wondered if they had been the subject of a form of indoctrination. Lifton identified eight criteria of thought reform. These include control of the milieu or environment, manipulation through mystical means, a demand for purity which consistently evokes guilt and shame, a requirement for the confession of sins. That word is in air quotes. The belief system is held as sacred and as a science. The use of insider-loaded language which limits wider thought and can shut down emotional processes. The doctrine is held to be more important than the individual. Personal experiences are subordinate to the ideology. And lastly, there is the dispensing of existence, 
whereby people with alternative belief systems do not deserve acknowledgement or value, and anyone who leaves the indoctrinated community is shunned. This led me to a small research programme where I interviewed eight individuals. In the interest of transparency, these were all men who had not fared well on the IDAP programme, who wished to tell me about their experiences as a way of getting their stories heard. My interviewees were men from London, Yorkshire, Liverpool and the East and West Midlands. They were five white males, one man who identified as Asian and two who identified as African Caribbean. Three are white collar workers and five are blue collar workers, all in the 35 to 50 age bracket. In this episode, I'm going to map their experiences against the milieu control component of thought reform with the intention of demonstrating that a form of mind control or thought reform is at the core of the IDAP programme. The eight components of thought reform coexist. They're not discrete phenomena. They inevitably overlap. Milieu control, which is being considered here, has to be present for all the other components to exist. Milieu control relates to the control of all communication within a given environment, which includes both the individual's inner communication with themselves, as well as their external interpersonal communication with others. Within the IDAP programme, I would argue, communication is constructed and maintained through focusing all group dialogue around the power and control wheel and the equality wheel. When these two models stand alone, they finally calibrate a wide range of constructive and destructive interpersonal behaviours, which make a considerable contribution to our understanding of what constitutes safe and unsafe relationships. However, those I interviewed described them being used in conjunction with a radical feminist ideology which holds a cynical, stereotypical view of men who are all viewed as rapists or perpetrators of domestic abuse or potential rapists and perpetrators of domestic abuse. Here are some of the things the men I interviewed told me. Make no mistake about it, we were left in no doubt that men are bad. I was assumed to be a serial offender. You were not allowed to say, it only happened the once. You knew that if you didn't agree with them, you'd be off the course. Off the course was code for back to court or prison. These highly structured groups restrict participant discussion to the eight abusive behaviours on the power and control wheel and their eight non-abusive counterparts on the equality wheel. The men I interviewed told me that they were assumed to have committed harmful behaviours from each of the eight categories and they were discouraged from saying, actually, I never sexually abused my wife or I never financially exploited my partner or I didn't use the children to manipulate her. Facilitators argue that the driving force of domestic abuse, the hub of the wheel of domestic abuse, is power and control. Not the whole range of factors mentioned in the last two episodes of this podcast dedicated to men being treated badly, or the whole range of factors which psychotherapists, psychologists and counsellors all agree contribute to abusive behaviours. 
Each of the interviewees had reflected on their behaviour and all of them had a complex narrative of why what happened had happened. Invariably, they'd come to the conclusion that there were multiple personal and interpersonal factors that had contributed to their abusive behaviour rather than the single power and control explanation which facilitators, magistrates and judges focus on. At this juncture, I want to say power and control may well be part of what contributed to the abusive event or events, but not in the way that radical feminists understand it to have done. In my opinion and experience, the need for power and control is a trauma symptom. It arises when an individual is so overwhelmed that they cannot cope with even one more experience, cannot process one more thing, however trivial, and have the urgent need to maintain the environment precisely as it is for fear of their psychic destruction. Such behaviour is not, in my opinion, learned or a political act of the patriarchy. It's a psychic survival mechanism. As I always feel the need to say, I'm not excusing abuse. I'm explaining it in a different way. To my mind, a more humane and compassionate way and a way that indicates very different interventions. Anyhow, going back to what these men told me about their experiences on the programme, they very quickly learned that any other kind of explanations for domestic abuse would not be tolerated. When the milieu is being controlled, an individual's autonomy becomes a threat to the group, and those men I interviewed who challenged the notion that all men are bad denied that they had committed a particular category of abuse or offered an alternative explanation from the party line, that's the participants' quote, were all told they were being disruptive, uncooperative, not engaging, in denial or making excuses and were threatened with being removed from the group. Robert J. Lifton says, intense milieu control can contribute to a dramatic change of identity, which he calls doubling. The formation of a second self, which lives side by side with the former one. He tells us that the boundary of the self is chipped away at and that pressure is exerted on the internal milieu, that is the participant's inner life, to interject, in other words, swallow or take on board, the external milieu, in this case, an identity and motivation that derives from radical feminist ideology. The research participants reported presenting what they, the facilitators, wanted to hear, showing a false self, telling others to keep their heads down, do what's expected and don't rock the boat. Lifton tells us, When the milieu control is lifted, elements of the earlier self may reappear. Participants described being more real with each other in tea and cigarette breaks and in any contact outside of the group environment. It's my opinion that men who wished to talk to me so passionately about their IDAP experiences were seeking out just this opportunity to be real and to continue the process of restoring themselves to their former identity and personality.
Lifton describes how humans naturally strive towards new information, independent judgment and self-expression. Seven out of the eight men I interviewed told me that whatever misgivings they had about joining the ADAPT programme originally, they had decided to make the best of the situation and had been hopeful and optimistic about learning something new about themselves and their relationships. It's my opinion that the control of the milieu thwarts this organismic process. There's still plenty more to come on this topic and I will return to it in future episodes. And now it's Good Guy of the Week. Drum roll, please. (laughs) There was a very heartwarming moment shared in the Daily Mail this week. A young male Ryanair passenger was checking his phone in the queue to board a flight from Ibiza to Stansted. As he was checking his phone, his attention was caught by a woman who was clearly distressed and overwhelmed as Ryanair flight personnel told this mother with two children that her bag was too big to go on as cabin luggage and that she would need to pay £50 for it to go into the hold. In a video posted by the Daily Mail, you see that as the woman begins to cry, and by this point her children are also upset and are chasing each other about the place, the young man steps forward and tells her, don't worry, I'll pay this for you. This young man not only paid the £50 oversized baggage fee, but then proceeded to talk very soothingly to the mother, telling her, it's all right now, don't worry yourself, you and the children are fine now. The generous stranger has chosen to remain anonymous. Those who commented on the Daily Mail post have heaped praise on the young man and said, what a legend he is. There's hope for humanity. And well done, that man. A sentiment I wholeheartedly agree with. Applause, please. Thank you, that man. Thank you. Thank you. Until next week, practice gratitude and compassion towards everyone and take care of everyone, including our men and boy folk.